Zapping Weeds with Robot-Driven Lasers. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Paul Mikesell, founder and CEO of Carbon Robotics. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Hi. Hi, everybody. You have quite a background as a serial entrepreneur. Give us a quick summary of your experience and what you do now at Carbon Robotics. Sure. Yeah. Um, I was at Uber for quite a while. Um, when I started there, when the company was about 600 employees, and when I left, we were over 18,000 people. It was uh, qu quite the growth curve. Um, I was director of engineering there and then spent my last um, 18 months to two years really focused on deep learning, AI, computer vision, neural nets, the kinds of technologies that have really been revolutionary in the last five to seven years uh, to allow computers to really see things with um, a lot of context and understanding of what they were, of the objects in which the computers are observing. I've been in tech my whole career. I have a computer science degree from the University of Washington up here in Seattle and um, done several other startups. Uh, I started a company called Isilon Systems in 2001. After five years there, we had a $2.25 billion IPO. We did uh, distributed storage technology. So for your tech um, enthused audience, we were doing large scale, uh, distributed scale storage, you know, really for the first time. And um, probably many of your audience members may know our technology under Isilon brand or then eventually uh, purchased by EMC and then purchased by Dell. So pretty common technology at this point. Um, I have always been interested in robotics. I've done several robotics projects on the side along the way. I, one of the first things I built was a, um, a, a autonomous window washing robot that climbs up and down windows. Um, combination of uh, vacuum pumps and um, little suction cups, and then it climbs up and down the, the windows. Um, it was kind of an interesting project from robotic control perspective and things like that. I mean, I did some time working in UAVs and drones. So I've been all over the place in terms of robotics and technology. So talk a little bit about carbon robotics. What kind of work do you guys do there? Uh, yeah, great. So after leaving Uber, really wanted to figure out how we could apply all of this deep learning technology, this computer vision technology that has really been revolutionary in the last, like I said, five to seven years and put it to work in a place that was... Um, doing some real physical world activities. And what's more important to us as humans than growing our food, how our food gets produced and distributed to us. So I spent a lot of time working with farmers, figuring out you know, how our farms really operate, what our food production pipeline looks like. Got, um, spent a lot of time with this, with this person, Shea Myers out at Owyhee Produce. Um, and we decided to start this company together. So he's actually a co-founder in the company. And we spent a lot of time looking at his operation and figuring out what was working, what could be automated, where there was a lot of cost. And the thing that we kept coming to was really about weed control. Um, when you get your produce in the store, what has, what has happened to make that, uh, the, the steps in making that happen are the field has to get turned into a series of rows and then the crops are planted. That's a relatively cheap and straightforward process. Then the crops start growing and immediately weeds come into the field. They're invasive plants. They're going to sap nutrients from the produce. Um, they cause all kinds of issues in the root structure. 
things of that nature. So weed control is a big issue. And particularly in organic produce, it's almost entirely human labor that's out there pulling these weeds. And this is a, this is a problem for a couple of different reasons. Um, labor is highly variable, very, very difficult to get, particularly a lot of the migrant farm laborers. Um, you know, these folks work very, very hard. It's very difficult, to, very difficult job. Um, and it's also um, because of that and because of the most of these folks are on um, H2A egg visas, there's a lot of issues at the border with what's going on with immigration policy and things of that, that nature. Um, combined with rising minimum wage, overtime laws, um, that sort of thing, workers comp, this just makes it a whole nother operation process for the farmers who are really trying to grow these vegetables. And so we decided to try and tackle this weed control problem. Now, in weed control, there's a common, uh, the most common thing that people have heard about is, of course, herbicides. And there's lots of questions and controversy about what this does to human health over time, to the um, quality of uh, mineral, minerals and vitamins in your vegetables, what it does to the land over time. And so those concerns, we wanted to figure out how to get around that and, and not have to uh, continue to keep dumping these chemicals onto people's land, particularly for organics where they don't have great herbicide solutions. Organic herbicides are limited, very limited and uh, difficult. Uh, they're not uh, selective, so they wind up destroying the crops as much as they hurt the weeds. We also have been learning about this regenerative agriculture um, really, it is kind of a revolution, which is how do we sustain our land for continuing to have soil health to grow produce into the future, to pass to future generations. And one of the big premises of regenerative ag agriculture is, is no tillage or low tillage. And what that means is not ripping up the topsoil to remove weeds. And so um, there's a lot of bad effects from that. Um, it causes uh, your topsoil, your nutrient-rich topsoil to uh, lose its ability to absorb and hold water very well, and that increases runoff. The topsoil is a lot more susceptible to erosion from wind, um, and it destroys the uh, microbacterial structures that are in that soil that are meant to affix nutrients, nitrogen, that sort of thing. Um, so we wanted to see, okay, can we do this in a regenerative fashion, which is no, no tillage, no ripping up the topsoil? Can we do it without herbicides and do it cost effectively. Okay, so the conclusion we came to was that we could do this with lasers um, theoretically. We, and this was all penciled out on paper. And so we spent that first year, company was founded at the end of 2018. We spent about a year, just me and a, and a couple of other folks really running through prototypes, testing, testing, you know, trying things out. And we got to the point that we could prove it would work. And so then, end of 2019, a year after that, we closed our $8.9 million Series A investment from Ignition, which is a venture firm up here in Seattle, very well known, and Bolt, uh, which is a uh, San Francisco um, hardware robotics fo focused venture, venture firm. Um, so John Connors from Ignition uh, and Cameron Borman from Ignition, and then um, Greg McAdoo from Bolt, uh, put the put the money in to get us going, and I, I put some money in myself also. And now we're at the point where 18 months later, we have production robots in the field doing real work with these laser systems. And um, hopefully, 
uh, you've seen some of the videos or seen some of the pictures, and I'm sure we'll make more of those available along the way. The uh, robot itself is completely autonomous, self-driving. It drives up and down the rows on its own using vision technology. And the vision technology allows it to see the furrows. Um, furrows are the essentially the tire tracks for the tractors in between the rows where you plant the, veg the vegetables. So our system automatically finds those based on vision technology. Again, neural nets, deep learning, uh, a lot of AI, and then drives up and down the rows. And then our, uh, again, a, di a different neural net, but focused on weed selection uh, and saving the crops, figures out where the weeds are uh, and figures out where the crops are. And then the vision system targets all the weeds for destruction. Um, and then that goes to our targeting laser system, which uh, annihilates these weeds with very, very high powered lasers. These are the kinds of things that you would use to cut metal. So they're 150 watt CO2 lasers. Um, if just to sort of uh, visualize this, the tubes are about six and a half feet long and probably six inches in diameter. These are pretty beefy big things. And when you see them laze, uh, it's pretty, pretty cool looking, you know. Um, so if you watch one of our robots drive along, what you will see is little explosions on the ground um, where the weeds are getting shot and dying. And, um, it, and it does look like science fiction in some ways. Um, you know, we see this every day. So um, it's, uh, uh, it's still exciting to us. And, uh, it, you know, it still is, uh, feels like the future. So looking forward, where are other opportunities that exist for automation and what technologies will we depend on to make that process happen? Yeah, that's, that's right. So there's a lot of um, camera technology, sensor technology that multi-spectral cameras, which means using spectrum other than just visible light that will continue to give us more information about what's going on in the, in the field. Um, there are several areas for automation in the farm um, packing and sorting, quality control is one area where folks have been spending a lot of time. The field has traditionally been harder. It's harder because you are out there in the hot sun and the heat and the weather and the rain and wind, et cetera. Um, and so we're really sort of forging that path out into the field. There have been other folks trying to do things around, around picking, um, picking apples, picking uh, strawberries, that sort of thing. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope they do really well. I prefer the weed control uh, target because it's a lot more uh, of, a, of a controlled problem. So for us, weed control is, we'll look at the ground, we have a two-dimensional view of the world, it's, and then it's just crops and weeds and we shoot the weeds. Um, there's nothing really three-dimensional about it, which is uh, a much harder problem, which is what happens when you try and do picking, you know, strawberries, apples, that sort of thing. And so part of the reason why we've been able to get a product to market, you know, relatively quickly um, is because I think we chose the problem domain really specifically, very thoughtfully. Um, and that, that first year I mentioned, you know, where we really just did research and figuring out what would work, I think was key to sort of understanding the basics and fundamentals of what we're, what we're trying to do here. Um, you asked about other areas also, you know, I know there's a lot going on with UAVs and drones to do crop imagery and things like that. Um, NDVI images to look at uh, vegetative structures, um, some of that coming from satellites. And we are also starting to participate in that information collection, uh, predictions, um, figuring out what's happening in the field in real time, that kind of stuff. 
So that's kind of beyond just weeding is what information can you get out of the field in real time to know what's happening. Because um, remember these farms are, these are very large farms that are producing your vegetables in the field. So they have you know, tens of thousands of acres spread across hundreds of miles. And so for them, information awareness is really, a, continues to be a challenge. Um, and since we're in the fields anyway, already weeding all of these crops for them, we have incredibly high resolution images combined with the um, deep learning neural network uh, computer vision that see that can annotate what it's seen in the field. Are automation and robotics finding their way into smaller ag operations? Well, that's a good question. A lot of this is really for production scale agriculture, um, partially because, you know, the economies of scale and that kind of thing, um, along with several of these other technologies, as the industrial stuff really starts to take off and scale, you will see offshoots of those technologies that are made or meant for more smaller scale use. Um, so in a similar way, you know, once you get an industry built that has a, you know, has an industrial ROI, like what we're doing with weed, weed control, you will start to see more robotics available to smaller farms along the way um, as the technology matures. Internet and cellular network access in rural areas can be a challenge. How does this factor in developing automation strategies? Yeah, that's that's right. That's very that's very astute. Um, a lot of places have minimal, uh, at least a minimum LTE connectivity, or if they don't, the farmers usually supplement the local field connectivity with their own Wi-Fi. Um, we do like to operate in those fields so we can do remote sensing and remote publishing of current GPS location, that kind of thing. These farms are continuing to push down this road of um, the base infrastructure for autonomy, not just for us, but for other tractors. You know, tractors have GPS reporting. And in order to get that information somewhere, uh, it has to go through an LTE connection or other Wi-Fi style connection. So that's, um, that is starting to roll out. It is going to become more and more important connectivity in the field. Um, you could think of it as IoT, um, or, you know, Internet of, of Farming Machines. Maybe there's a new acronym along the way there. Um, but that's kind of the current state. Now, future technologies, things like Starlink, um, you know, Internet access via satellite, um, SpaceX's stuff. And, and there are other folks doing, you know, private LTE or, you know, other kinds of services to get basic Internet feeds into the fields, I think will be incredibly important. Um, we're, we're not even, we're not even talking about high bandwidth stuff here, but just nice access to consistent, uh, you know, moderately, uh, moderately performant internet access. Cause we're really talking about things like position updates and, you know, periodic camera images and things like that. Um, and as that pushes forward, you will see more and more autonomy out in the field because there's a sort of base layer of infrastructure that really needs to be there. And, and connectivity is a big part of it. Paul Mikesell, founder and CEO of Carbon Robotics. Thanks for joining us, Paul. If somebody wants to connect with you, maybe they want to find out more about the work mm -hmm. that you're doing. How can they do that? Yeah, the easiest way is to email us, info at carbonrobotics.com. Um, it's just like it, just like it, spelled just like it sounds, carbonrobotics.com. Thanks for joining. Thanks for all the work that you're doing. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here 
on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.